For a particular reason? Oh. Wonder why I would talk about one sixty-nine. We're in chapter sixty-nine. <laughs> Somebody's awake. You know why I'm kind of sensitive to that number? Yeah. How old are you, Brother Glenn? How old? How old are you? I'll be 70, right around the corner here. You will be 70, but right now you are. 69. That's a good age to be, isn't it? Not quite. Sister Frank, I didn't see you come in. That's great. Yeah, we, we heard something about being 80. We found out it ain't so great to be 70, but some of us haven't quite hit 70 yet. <clears throat> we didn't lose your draw. We're going to look at Psalm 69. Three dozen verses. And I say this a lot of times, but you know it's right. There's a lot of stuff in these psalms. By the way, how far will we have to go after this till we have concluded the second book of the Psalms? Well, how many books are there in the Psalms? Five. That's right. Are we in the first, second, third, fourth, or fifth? Second. We're in number two. 72. 72 closes book two. Now just think, if you've just been a coming in for these second services on Sunday, if the Lord gives me life and breath and brains, the Lord willing, we'll go all the way through the longest book in the Bible. On the other hand, you know, there are some people that they need to be reminded once in a while, we actually have a second service. So, once we get to the end, all 150 chapters of the Psalms, then anytime anybody quotes any verse from the Psalms, you can say, I've heard that. Of course, we all ought to be able to say that about all the Word of God, shouldn't we? Somebody asked me years ago, I was getting ready to preach, what are you going to preach on Sunday? I'm going to preach on death in the pot. What? Death in the pot? Where is that? Well, back in the Old Testament, there was a prophet who <clears throat> had a school of the prophets, and one of those young bucks didn't know too much and they put the wrong stuff in the pot. And they said, there's death in the pot. I never read about that. Well, you know it's in the Old Testament. Oh, I don't read the Old Testament. <clears throat> what are you going to say to the Lord? Like a cartoon where a fella is in heaven. Habakkuk, uh, your name sounds familiar for some reason. Yeah, I I was used to write one of the books of the Bible. I don't think I ever got around to that. Shame, shame. That's indicting, isn't it? Let's read. <clears throat> Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies, wrongfully are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. O let them not... Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord of God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake. 
O God of Israel, because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. I become a stranger to my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. That's a sermon in itself, but let's keep going. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, with fasting, that was to my reproach. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayers unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God of the multitude of thy mercy, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me, and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up. Let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. And hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of mine enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before me. Reproach hath broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. <clears throat> Let their table become a snare unto them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not. Make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thy indignation upon them. And let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten. And they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. And iniquity, add iniquity unto their iniquity. Let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not to be written with the righteous. But I am poor and needy. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that have horns and hoofs. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live and seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moveth therein. For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and have it in possession. The seed also of his servants shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. It's a mouthful, isn't it? In this study, I would remind you but it's also true in the New Testament. We have to open four books we call Gospels. And in this sense, the word Gospel means a record of the life and ministry of Christ. And from time to time, you'll hear Bible students refer to the synoptic Gospels. all familiar with that term? What, what do you mean by the synoptic gospel? We see there's four. People say, why are there four gospels? <clears throat> Some things are mentioned in just one. Some just two. Some in just three. Some in all four. The synoptics are the first three, Matthew, Mark, 
unbelief. And of course, John is in its own category. If I had four cameras and I said, I want four gentlemen to take my picture, and I gave one to Brother Dim, and I gave one to Brother Sean, and I gave one to Mr. Evan, and I gave one to Brother Jeff. And they're all taking a picture of me at the same time, in the same place. Which ones are going to look the most alike? Why? Because from pretty much the same perspective. Brother Jeff takes a picture of the same person at the same time. It's going to be a little bit different. You know, if I said, I want to make sure somebody gets my good side. Somebody would say, well, just turn around. But the synoptics will harmonize a lot more. Part of that is because if you read carefully, I think you'll find that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to talk more about the Lord's ministry in the northern parts, up in, not down by Jerusalem, but up by the lake, you know. Up there in that northern area we call Galilee. But that a different way of thinking, a different way of talking. That's why Peter stuck out. When he was warming his hands at the fire, they asked him a question, don't you run with that guy, that Jesus guy? And by his framing of his words, his speech betrayed him. And they said, no, you, you sound like one of those Yankee folks. You talk like one of those from up the northern part. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk more about what happened in the northern. And John talks more about what happened in Judea, the, the southern district. Okay. So when I talk about the synoptic gospels, we're talking Matthew, Mark, Luke. <clears throat> and of course, John by himself. But still, they all talk about, and there's a lot of overlapping. Somebody's gone through and they've interwoven the Gospels. And I think that's a helpful thing. There are certain themes in this psalm that I hope you picked up on. For example, in verse 8, we're reminded of the otherworldliness of Jesus Christ. No matter where he went, no matter what, time of day or day of the week no matter what others were doing there was something special something peculiar about the Lord in fact when he was 12 years old Luke chapter 2 tells us it was the custom of his family to go to Jerusalem and go there at the temple now I don't want an average 12 year old boy in Jerusalem would go. Maybe he found a place to join some fellows at a game. Or maybe they were doing something else. But Jesus was not found. When the family gathered up to head back up north, they went quite a ways before when they stopped, they said, by the way, where's Jesus? Well, I thought he was. Well, I thought he was. They couldn't find him in the old caravan. They packed up and went back. <clears throat> they didn't find him someplace shooting seven gum eleven. They didn't find him stealing something. They didn't find him into some mischief. He was in the temple. What does that tell you? He was answering questions that the doctors put to him, and he was asking questions. I have an idea some of the questions he asked them puzzled and perplexed. And when his human mama, she was the mother of Jesus. It's, and I don't want to call her the mother of God. The Bible never calls her the mother of God, but it does call Mary the mother of Jesus. She said, What weren't you with us? And he said, Don't you know I had to be about my father's business. 
She would go, oh, I understand. No, she probably thought, what does being in the temple have to do with carpentry? But you see, even as a lad, Jesus was aware and wasn't shy about reminding people. In each of the synoptic gospels, it tells us that one time Jesus was talking to some folks and his mama wasn't there. And his siblings weren't there. And somebody decided, hey, Jesus, uh, are, are you forgetting something? Uh, these are strangers. Who are these people? And if you read in each of those accounts, he says, where's my mother, my brother, my sister? I'll tell you, my mother, brother, and sister, they're the ones that hear and follow what the Lord has said. You know, sometimes in Christ, you can have closer in, closer friendships, closer bonds. I had two brothers coming up, but then I have brothers and sisters in Christ. Honestly, I'm closer to them. And some people say, what's wrong with you? You, you don't want to be with? Well, it's not a question I don't want to be with, but I really want spiritually to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to be among the people of God. Now, if it so happens that when you go to church, you're also there with people that you're physically kin to, nothing wrong with that. But your priority should be to be with the people of God. And not everybody understands that. I offended in the flesh, if you will, some of my family members, because they said, listen, uh, this Sunday we got something going on. And so, uh, if you don't mind, I said, well, actually, uh, you know, I plan to go to church. I mean, I'll, I'm your son, I'll submit, but, uh, but I want you to know, my heart is to be among the people of God. Yeah, a lot of kiddos said I was weird. Sometimes family members, they, they think you're kind of weird, but that's just the way it is. I want you to know too, drop down to verse 32. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. In this song, we hear the humble servant of God asking that he would remember hear the requests because he suffered abuse at the hands of the wicked. If you want to get along with everybody, you want to play the lot game instead of the Abraham game, you'll find if you're a good time, Charlie, oh, nobody's really going to get after you too much. They're going to look, not going to look to you for a spiritual example either, though. You will make enemies standing for Jesus Christ. Now, if you're, we talked about, there you go to Sunday school, you're witnessing. If you're a real witness on the job, in the neighborhood, walking around in Walmart or wherever you happen to be, there's some people, they won't feel too comfy being around you because you might just say, praise God. You might just say, hallelujah. You might just say something that would uh, put somebody on. <clears throat> I want you to know that sometimes even in religious settings you can be in a place where just saying praise the Lord. We don't do that stuff around here. You don't praise God? Well, you keep it to yourself if you know what I mean. Afraid they're going to get on somebody's toes, I guess. When we acknowledge God as the one who hears and answers the prayers of his people. All those things are true. There's a lot squeezed into this song, but this is a 3M zone, I like to call it. 
Because it talks first of all about that which is messianic. Now, in the broadest sense, all of God's Word speaks of Christ. In the 24th of Luke, it tells us that when Jesus met Cleopas and his buddy, it says, beginning at the beginning, he opened the Scriptures and he told them things about himself. Folks, if you really understand what's recorded in what we call the Old Testament, you will find it will trail back. You can follow the breadcrumbs, if you will, and it goes back to Jesus Christ. That's what he was talking about when he revealed later in that same 24th chapter. It says, he said, that these are the things that are written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms. The highlight is not Moses. The highlight is not David. The highlight is not Abraham. Is it which testify of me. You know what it's talking about when you read about the Ark of Noah? Talking about Christ. His great person and His great work. That's what's lifted up. That's what's anticipated. That's what's pictured in type and shadow. And so when we speak about something that is messianic, that just means it talks about the great Savior, Messiah, who is coming. Now many of the Psalms have passages that are obvious to just about anybody. Some, maybe not so much. But look at verse 8, for example. How does this speak of Christ? I have become a stranger to my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. Being the eldest of three boys, every once in a while, mom and dad, they'd get after Randy. Why can't you be like your big brother, dude? And they'd get after Jeff. Why can't you be like your big brothers, dude? Of course, I didn't have a big brother to be compared to, so I was kind of the one out of the gate. <clears throat> but I kind of wonder about the brothers and sisters of Jesus because he was firstborn. I wonder if Mary ever said, why can't you be like Jesus? Jesus doesn't tell lies. There's something different about him. Yeah, he doesn't lie. He doesn't steal. He doesn't sneak around. He doesn't get snarly against people. Why can't you be more like Jesus? And you know what? Perhaps the Holy Spirit mentions that to us. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Look out. It's kind of quiet when people realize maybe he's done stopped preaching and done started meddling. John 1.11 says he came unto his own. And they were just so glad to have him around. Oh no. They didn't know. They didn't want to talk about it. They wanted to keep their distance, so to speak. That comes out a lot. I have to move on. In verse number 9, it says, The reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Somebody says, Isn't that something about David? Well, Somebody should have told Paul that because in Romans chapter 15 Paul lets us know he's talking about the Lord. Romans 15 and uh, verse number 3 For even Christ pleased not himself. You want to see a Christian? That's somebody that doesn't think about themselves all the time. They're thinking about others. Hmm. For as, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah, we just read it. We just read it there. Now, didn't we? In fact, a picture of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, that's the Father, hath made him, that's the Son, to be made sin for us. Why? that we might be made the righteousness of God in 
him. What did Christ do for himself when he went to Calvary? Not a thing in the world. He did it on our behalf. He was our substitute, our sacrifice, the one we can identify with. There's nothing that should sober us quicker than that realization. In fact, uh, it mentions in verse 21, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. I don't know if that ever happened literally in the life of David, but all four of the Gospels tell us that Jesus was given vinegar. Fresh squeezed grape juice. I like that stuff. That tastes good. It's sweet. It's invigorating. It'll give a, put a little spring in your step and all of that. And if you leave that grape juice alone without adding any bad stuff to it, like somebody told me once, it will end time and its turn go to wine. And that, of course, we have as a picture of the blood of Christ. But if that wine is allowed to be exposed to the elements, it will, in its time, wind up the final stage. And that's vinegar. Sometimes Marsha put vinegar on my salads, and that's okay. I don't know too many people that like to drink vinegar straight. And yet, it's here in the gospel, all each, each of the four gospels, but it's also anticipated here in this 69th Psalm. So the first M is messianic. The second is mire. We're not talking about the clear waters in your pool where you can go swimming and have a great time getting around in the water. No, mire. We're talking about muck. We're talking about mud. We're talking about ooey, gooey, sticky, slimy stuff. Well, April with us a while back, we looked at Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings, and has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. If you're familiar with this book, pretty good book. Not as good as the Bible, but it's got some great songs in it. And uh, my dear wife helped me find this. Number 64. The chorus says, He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my soul today. A song of praise. Hallelujah. Where do we think got those words? Think somebody just dreamed it up on a good day? No, I think they took it right out of what we read there in Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. He brought me out. He brought me out. Well, beautiful as that is here in the 40th Psalm, we come back to that here. For in the psalm before us, we saw verse 2. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. Then drop down to verse 14. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up. And let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. What we read in the 40th is echoed here 
in our present, our 69th Psalm. Now, I don't know that David was ever literally treated this way, but you can feel inundated. You can feel like you're drowning in all sorts of things going on. And you might say, I haven't done anything to deserve this. Maybe not. I feel as a Christian, I got a target on my back. Well, the Lord said, don't be surprised. Look at how they're treating me. Keep in mind how they're going to treat me. I'm going to a place called Jerusalem. They're not going to say, for he's a jolly good fellow. No. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be spit upon. I'll be slapped around. I'll be punched. I'll have my beard pulled out and a crown of thorns put into my head and put on display. And the local authorities are going to say, here's your king. Say what did your king. And even when the opportunity of mercy comes up, he let the scroungiest inmate that they had there in the prison. They brought Barabbas out, and I bet people said, oh, no, not him. Folks, I'm feeling real generous today. I can let somebody go. I can let Jesus go. You know the guy that fed you? The guy that gave eyes to your blind child? The one that gave hearing to your deaf relative? The one who changed so well? The one who provided? Put food on the table for thousands at a time. Now, Mr. Barabbas, uh, did he do anything good for anybody? Now, most people would say, we're better off with him dead. And yet, when the people had a choice, you know, sometimes just because the people want it doesn't mean it's the best choice. And you can say that even if it isn't the week after a national election, folks. Sometimes the people don't know what's good for them. They don't know what's right. They vote according to their pocketbook. They vote according to their principles. They vote according to, or lack thereof, they vote according to what would best accommodate them. Campaigns are out there, and they try to make it so wonderful. There was an amendment to make it legal to buy marijuana, not just because the doctor prescribed it. And boy, if you listen to some of those ads, they, what? That sounds like a pretty, it's, it's going to do all these wonderful things. People will say anything to get their point across. And uh, that's why we need to be discerning. So you need to be careful about some of that. But if you read in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38, I haven't time to read by verses 5 through 13, but it tells us that Jeremiah, who was the weeping prophet, you know, if your name is Jeremy, you're named for a fella who wasn't always treated so well. We call him the weeping prophet. He, this so happens he also wrote the book of Lamentations. When you lament something, you're not yucking it up. You may be telling your tales through tears. For Jeremiah warned the people. And basically the people said, yeah, that's what you say. But we don't think what you say is what God said. We're going to do what we want. Because many times that's exactly what people do. Just like we read in the book of Judges, there was no king in the land. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. I'm okay with this. I'm going to do this. You're going to make me feel guilty about that. And so, some went to the king, and the king said, hey, I'll look the other way. And they took Jeremiah, and they put him in a pit, a pit with all kinds of bad stuff in it. And they thought he was going to die. And finally, the king got word about it and said, fish him out of there. So Jeremiah also, he, he was literally in a pit. Well, you may not literally be in some kind of a pit, but if the evil 
had their way. They just might get their jollies messing with you and turning you every which way but loose. So we talked about the Messianic, we talked about the mire, but I want to talk about some things that are memorable. Really leap off the page to me. In verse 5, you know, we talked about this a little bit this morning. The way of the wicked. The Lord knows all of our ways. No angel has ever told the Lord something that we have said or done or place we might have been involved with. And the, oh, I didn't know that. No kidding. No, those words aren't coming from the mouth of the Lord. He knows everything. Everything that's been, everything's going on right now. Everything that ever shall be. He knows what you're capable of. That's one thing that really sobers me. God knows what I'm capable of doing. All the wickedness, the thoughts that might race through my mind, the temptations that I may succumb to. And he loves me anyway. He doesn't love me because I'm such a wonderful fellow. I mean, uh, from time to time, even Mark should be converted, convinced he's not such a jolly good fellow after all. But the Lord knows all about us. We have a fancy word for that, his omniscience. He knows it all. <clears throat> We've seen that many a time, and we will yet see that. In the 139th, it tells us, he knows my down-sitting and my uprising. Can anybody here right now raise your hand and tell me how many times you sat down yesterday? <laughs> Can you? I wouldn't know how many. Do you know how many times you sat down yesterday? Does mom know? I have no idea how many times I sat down yesterday. Okay. Uh, you know how many times you got up yesterday? Any? Some wag says, yeah, probably about as many times as you sat down and you got up. Well, probably, but how many is that? I don't have a clue. Even if I did know, I'd probably forget the next day. Can't say it's something I really want to know in a hundred years, but yet the Lord knows. He even knows what you're thinking about when your mind is wandering. Like the girl I'm pretty sure I told you about. I was lecturing in history. And just out of the blue. If my dad died, I'd get his truck. That's when you need a filter. You know, there are times you don't necessarily want to say out loud what you might be a thinking. It's a memorable thing. Memorable thing. We need to remember God knows. Not just the way that we take. He knows how our minds run. Drop down to verse 9. Here's another passage that perhaps when the penman was used to write the words, I wonder sometimes when they're writing these words down, me? I never experienced this. But that's what the Lord told me to write. So I'm going to write it down because my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. In verse 9, it says, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. What in the world is that talking about? Well, if you remember, in John chapter 2, it tells us Jesus walked into the temple. This is supposed to be a place dedicated to the glory of God. Dedicated where people come to admit that they are sinners and they need a great God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about this great God. This God we have offended. This great God who saves. We forget that sometimes. Especially in these nice buildings. We adjust the heat and the lights and we have everything. We think this should be mighty fine. Or at least copacetic. It's, it's the way it ought to be. And Jesus, when he looked around and he saw people, you can't pay with that heathen money. 
you got got special money if you're going to give it to the Lord. You want animals that are clean. We got certified sheepsies over here. You know, got some sheepsies on the tie, but they had live sheepsies that you could buy and sacrifice. Guaranteed acceptable before God. It's funny, they, they charge an awful high premium. Well, you know, you want to get the right kind, don't you? You can never spend too much on a sheep to give to God. Yeah, they had that kind of mentality back then, too. They were in cages with doves so that they couldn't afford a sheep. You buy doves, sacrifice it. And they had all that stuff there ready to line their pockets. They had a monopoly, if you will. And the Lord walked in and he said, Oh, isn't it wonderful that they've made it convenient for people to worship my Father in heaven? Now, if you read the second of John, it says he got some material together and he made a whip. And he used that whip to whip those fellows and dump the tables over. And he said, This is the house of God, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. And that's recorded when he did it that first time. Only in the Gospel of John. Like I told you, got three cameras over here and one over here. Only John got a picture of that in his Gospel. Well, you'd think if the Lord did that once, somebody would have got the hint. But, if you look at Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, the Lord again went into the temple. You know, same old, same old. You know, you can read about people 200 years ago and they were cold about the things of God. They were spiritually dead. They were under-motivated. Had little, if any, desire. You know, we, we look at the world of Christianity and say, it seems like Things are just about as lukewarm, the best we could say. Otherwise, it's just dead. And you can go back 50 years ago and read people talking about the same thing back then. And you go 50 years before that, talking about it then. It's always been a problem. You know why? It started, well, the middle word of it is I, sin, pride, I don't feel the need, is what we heard in Shreveport. You know, people are going to be direct. They're going to tell you, what? You think to be a Christian, you ought to do such and such? Well, I've never been impressed to do that. I don't feel the need. Now, how's that going to work when you stand before the Lord? Well, I'm not in that house. Maybe you ought to get in that. You know, having, having prayer at the table, praying over our food, I don't know, not just on Sunday, but every day, to, to actually talk about the things of God. We talk about the blessing of having children. You read in Deuteronomy, it says, Fathers, it's your responsibility. When they get up in the morning, you need to be talking to them about the things of God. When they go to bed, you need to be talking to them about the things of God. You, when you're walking down the road, you should be talking to them about the things of God. But somehow we just don't have the time. We don't have the opportunity. Maybe we want to make the time. we got time to do other stuff. If you really want to do something, I think if you possibly can, you're going to do it. Hmm. And then finally drop down to verse 25. Let their habitation be desolate. Well, that's an interesting passage. What if that's got anything to do with anything that happened in the New Testament? Well, uh, I, I don't know. Sure enough. Look at Acts chapter 1. After the betrayal of Jesus, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, 
and uh, he has ascended. But those 12 apostles realize, you know, we don't have 12 anymore. We're only down to 11. And the fact that there was one missing when Judas was out. Now, I had some people of another denominational persuasion as friends coming up, and they said, I know you can lose your salvation because Judas lost his salvation. Folks, you can't lose what you never had. He was the son of perdition. Jesus recognized that in John chapter 6. When he prayed in John 17, I pray for them. And with the exception of the one that you gave me, I've kept them all. For you see, Judas looked good on the outside. He, didn't, he wasn't the dirtbag apostle. He wasn't the one who's such a scoundrel that when the Lord said, one of you will betray me, the other will let me out. We don't know what you're talking about. That dirtbag Judas over there. No, he was above suspicion. He knew how to play the part. Could there be in our midst someone who is playing the part? Now, it's not our job to go around with a magnifying glass and try to find out who might be the Judas here. But you know what it is the job? Each of us examine yourselves whether they be in the faith. Acts chapter 1, verse 20. They met so they could talk about somebody to replace the one who had been numbered with us. We're talking about Judas Iscariot here. And then Peter said, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. He was not only known as a follower of Jesus, he was part of the leadership. Well, he's near the top there, one of the apostles. And yet he fell. He didn't fall from salvation. He fell from a position. And it was time to take that into consideration. So, those things stand out to me when you look here in this special psalm. This psalm 69. But when we talk about the Lord, we have many attributes. Which, did you do that attribute thing with your kiddos in Sunday school? Shed that thing with all the attributes of God. Hope you kiddos when Marsha's Sunday school class. I hope you learned something. There are some things about God. God is not just whatever you imagine. He is what He has revealed Himself as in His Word. But there are two things that really show. And uh, this isn't the only place that talks about it. But those two things are His loving kindness and His mercy. His loving kindness, verse 16 says, is good. Thy loving kindness is good. If you go back to Psalm 36, it says, but His loving kindness is excellent. And it wasn't long ago we read from the 63rd Psalm, the third verse, which says, Thy loving kindness is better than life. What really counts? Unless the Lord comes back first, you're going to die someday. I'm going to die someday. But the loving kindness of the Lord is even better than life. But it also mentions in verse 16, His mercy. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. He doesn't say, you know, old Joe next door, he, he can forgive me. And so, could you be like old Joe? Or Sally Sue over here, she's, she's pretty kind about stuff like that. You think that you'd be like her? No. Think about the Lord and his tender mercies. There's an awful lot of references to that. The Lord willing, we get to Psalm 136. You know what how many verses there are in Psalm 136? I'll give you a hint. It's the same number of letters we have in our alphabet. A through Z. 26. Kindergarten teacher better know that. And there are 26 verses. And the last part of every verse says, 
for his mercy endureth forever. You think my mercy endures forever? I wouldn't count on it. Does your mercy endure forever? Well, I'd like to think so, but I wouldn't want to push it. Push gets to shove. But the Lord's continues. He is this merciful one. We'll close by looking ahead just a little bit. Psalm 107. It's another one of those longer ones. Verse number 43. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. The heathen will say, I don't think God's so smart. I don't think God's so kind. I don't think God's so merciful. Who are you going to get your theology from? Look at the Word. Look at God's people. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Hope that teaches us something. By the way, this morning, when we acknowledge Brother Sean, Brother Ken, and others, for their military service. Just to clear the air, I was reminded that somebody else in our group served in the Air Force for four years, I think it was. And uh, I was Brother Neil Fosdick. So we just might want to remember that. And if, if you have an opportunity to say, by the way, it's good to say thank you for the service that it has done. Never forget a kindness. That was something that was drilled into me, and I hope I can pass it on to you. Someone has done you a kindness, remember that. Express thankfulness. You know, it would be really neat if we had a day on the calendar designated for giving thanks. You think that would, oh yeah.